0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, it's good to see everyone, everyone enjoying the fall. This is a pumpkin spice shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, no, that's not true. But hey, if you're visiting, uh, we're really glad you're here. Hope you feel welcome and uh, good morning to our online viewers. We, we miss you. I uh, Hope you're doing well. Before I get into my talk, I want to say thank you. Uh, the last three weekends, we've been taking up a special missions offering, raising money for a couple swing sets to be sent to Angola with the Kubakis there. Uh, and then also a couple of air conditioning units for a new kids wing at a vineyard church in Brazil. And our goal was to raise 14,000, and thanks to your generosity, we've totally reached that goal, which is awesome. So thank you uh, so much. We're already spending that money. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Online, there's just a crazy round of applause right now. so. But uh, seriously, thank you. And already that money's being put to use. And uh, I can't wait to hear stories of what the kids think of the swings uh, in Angola. So, But uh, hey, this is the final weekend. You can see there on the screen, we've been in this four-week series uh, called Discovering God's Story. And it's been a different kind of series. It's, we're looking at the overarching story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. So it's, it's moved uh, pretty quick and we've covered a lot of territory, lots of uh, history, lots of imagery, lots of prophecy, lots of stories. Uh, our hope as we've gone through this series is that the, the overarching story of the Bible has become clearer and clearer to you. Uh, in this series, we've, we've broken it down into four acts. Act one is creation, Uh, how the world got the way it is, and we covered Genesis 1 to 11. Act 2, uh, Israel, God's people for the world, Genesis 12, all the way to Malachi. Andrew is still resting from that weekend. Act 3, uh, the Messiah. We looked at this last weekend. The Messiah, of course, we're talking about Jesus. The true Israel, we looked at the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels. And then today we're going to look at Act 4, which is the church, the new Israel, And that's going to cover uh, Acts 2, Revelation. And if you remember in this series, we've said that really from day one, from day one, from creation, God has invited humans into two intentions and three assignments. The two intentions are intimacy with God, vertically. Relationship with God is is the starting point. Uh, And then intimacy with each other, uh, relationship with one another. From that place of being loved by God, we in turn love him back. And we we learn to love each other. And then from that, or on that strong relational foundation, God says, now, kids, get to work. And we have the three assignments, which are multiply, fill, and rule. Multiply meaning make more image bearers. And that can be in raising up our own children, grandchildren, et cetera. But it's also making disciples, more image bearers, more followers of Jesus. And then Phil, the plan of God is to spread out and expand the Eden project, really to take the good news to every corner of the world and, uh, and then rule. As we go, we go as ambassadors, we go as co-regents of God to bring his life-giving rule and reign. Uh, last weekend, we ended with Jesus as the perfect uh, Passover lamb disarming the devil, really crushing the head of the enemy. Uh, disarming him, taking away his two greatest weapons, sin and death, uh, dying on the cross. Remember, Jesus, he paid our sin debt. Uh, he paid the price. And then by coming back to life, he conquered the power of death. And now, uh, what we learned last week, in his resurrected body, Jesus was hanging out with his followers for a period of 40 days. And what was he doing for 40 days? It says this in Acts 1.3. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, to the followers, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That would have been very cool. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I find it very interesting at in this part of the story that you know, it's after the cross, it's after the resurrection, really it's, it's you know, the battle, it's after the battle with the enemy has been won, it's after Jesus said, it is finished, it's interesting to me that the story of the Bible doesn't stop here. Have you ever thought of that? Like why it doesn't stop at the end of the Gospels? And, and really, when you look at the story, when we look at the words and actions of Jesus at this point of the story, he looks more like a coach uh, before a game than a coach after a game. He's gathered with his team, if you will, his followers, and, and he's giving them, he's showing them convincing proofs that he's alive. Very important, Very encouraging. The primary topic that he's covering in these final days is the kingdom of God. Uh, And then his final words before he departs and goes back up to heaven uh, sound more like a coach in the tunnel before they run on the field than a coach in the locker room after the game. I'm talking about the, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we ended Act 3 last weekend, I think it's fair to say that that, uh, although it's very clear that the battle with the enemy has been won, it's also clear that the work now, the work of rescuing people from the enemy's Prisons, if you will, really is just getting started. So that brings us to Act Four, and especially for visitors, I'm like, I don't. That's not really much of a review, but, but uh, I think it'll make sense as we go along. So let's pray, and then we're going to continue with Act Four. So let's pray. So Lord, uh, I thank you that today is a brand new day. I thank you that uh, this day has never been lived before, and I, I. So I just thank you for the freshness there is today. I thank you for your presence here, and I pray, uh, Lord, that you would come close to everyone in the room, everyone online, that you would uh, come in a very personal, real way today. Lord, come teach us something new about yourself. Come come rescue us more. Come set us free more from anything that gets in the way of us being uh, who you've made us to be. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be jumping all around, of course, as we move quite quickly. Uh, So there'll be scriptures will be on the screen. But again, as a refresher, Act 4, you can see there Act 4 is the church, the new Israel, and it covers Acts through Revelation. And uh, that means it covers the rest of the New Testament. And really for today, we're primarily going to be in the book of Acts. And then we'll be in Revelation for a tiny little bit, but the, there's 21 books, actually 21 letters between Acts and Revelation, uh, and they're written to the different churches that were planted uh, in the book of Acts, and so we're not going to spend time on those, but again, uh, um, we will be mostly in Acts, and so before he departs, Jesus restates the three assignments, I just read that, the, the Great Commission, but then he also explains the two intentions a little more. And what, is, what I mean is he's, he's really explaining the need for, a, for his followers for a new understanding and a new experience uh, of, of relationship with God. He says this in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is basically saying to his followers, hey, you know, all that cool stuff that you saw me do, Uh, you need to understand that I was able to do that because one, I was in right relationship with my father and I was following his lead. And then two, uh, because I was filled with, I was empowered with the Holy Spirit. And if I need that, you're also going to need that. So you need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes falls on you. And then he's going to guide you. He's going to make it clear what your next step is. And so a little, uh, like a week later after this conversation, as promised, whoosh, the Holy Spirit falls on, uh, on this, this gathering of believers. And if you were here last week, you know, we talked about the, the temple and the presence of God in the temple. It's at this moment when the Holy Spirit falls that the glory, the presence of God does return to Jerusalem, but not to fill a building It's come to fill, not the temple in Jerusalem, he's come to fill the temples, the followers of Jesus with the presence of God. This happens at the time of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, the time when God's people are celebrating the the first fruits of harvest. And um, uh, when the Holy Spirit falls, he falls on a group of believers, 120 or so. And a lot of crazy things happen. But one of the amazing things that happens is they all start speaking in different languages which would have been just bizarre. But it really makes sense when you consider at Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem is is just overflowing with Jews coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And so you've got Jews from all over the place who speak different languages. And so as the Holy Spirit falls, here's the response of the people, Acts 2, 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things. And one of the things it means is that at this moment in Acts chapter 2, if you remember the first weekend, uh, this actually is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that Andrew talked about in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel was at a time when when really humanity was unified around their rebellion to God. That's what brought them together. And they're like, hey, let's build a tower. And God's looking going, ah, this isn't good. This is not good, what's going on here. And, and in the story, God comes down and where they all, all these people spoke the same language, God steps in and literally confuses them, gives them all different uh, different languages, and, and that causes them to scatter. And so what we see now in Acts 2, with the Tower of Babylon in mind, uh, God is doing something different. Listen to this. Where different languages were given by God to confuse and disperse, maybe that was his way of spreading and filling the earth, now in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls, and different languages are given by God to clarify and unite around Jesus. And at the time of Pentecost, where they celebrate the, you know, the first fruits of harvest, uh, 3,000 people, 3,000 people say yes uh, to Jesus. I would call that a significant harvest. And it's at this point that the church is born and it's a big baby. It's a, it's not a, you know, eight pound. It's like, uh, it's a teenager. It's born as a teenager. That's a lot of people. And, and what we see after the coming of the Holy Spirit really is exactly what Jesus said would happen. You're going to be empowered to be my witnesses. And that's, that's exactly what we see. And so uh, we see the, the, this new church continuing now, continuing the three assignments. Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church, the disciples, they, they're now continuing the ministry of Jesus to multiply, fill, and rule uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see now in the book of Acts, after chapter two, is you start to see these waves of the, of the message, moving outward from, from Jerusalem. So we're going to look at six waves of the gospel filling the earth. And, and so wave one is really what I've been talking about up to this point. Wave one is what happened in Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 6. The new church is born. You know, the Holy Spirit comes. It's growing like crazy. And, and I want to point out in this first wave that immediately the enemy pushes back and, and what I mean is like, 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 one of the things to pay attention to in the book of Acts is how many times the enemy pushes back against what God is doing and trying to stop it, trying to distract. And what you see over and over in the book of Acts is God takes the pushback of the enemy, flips it, and really uses it to further what, what he's doing. So for instance, uh, Peter and John get thrown into jail because they healed a crippled man, remember, on the way to prayer at the temple and it stirs up a crowd. The religious leaders are jealous and they, you know, they throw Peter and John into jail and then they bring them out and they threaten them. You guys, you know, the religious leaders threaten Peter and John. We don't want you to speak about this Jesus anymore. And the threat that was meant to stop them, really it did the opposite. It empowered them really it built their faith to, uh, to continue speaking about Jesus. Another story a little later, some of the disciples are again thrown in jail for speaking about Jesus and healing people. That night while they're in jail, an angel shows up, opens the door, and doesn't say, now go quickly hide somewhere. The angel says, now go right back to the temple and start speaking about Jesus again. And then uh, another, another uh, attempt of the enemy to, to uh, derail things, if you will, there's, there's racial tension. This church is growing and, and there's issues of, of race. And, and uh, uh, you've got the Jewish Christians, you have the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, they're, they're known as Hellenistic Jews. And uh, there's friction between these two people groups. And where the enemy meant for division, uh, <clears throat> what actually happens is God uses this Incident to uh, to raise up the first Greek speaking leaders, and you might remember a guy named Stephen. He was one of those. So wave one in Jerusalem ends with this verse, Acts six verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, imagine that, became obedient to the faith. And just as a side note, where it says there, the word of God spread. Uh, think in the Bible, who, who is the word of God? The right answer in church, Jesus, right? Right, John 1, it says that Jesus is, is the word of God become flesh. And so when you see that phrase, the word of God spreading or increasing, etc., know that that's, that's not just words. It's talking about the person, the ministry, the message of Jesus is now spreading. So wave number two, uh, Judea, Samaria, Acts 6 through uh, chapter 9. Now the message is starting to move away from Jerusalem, moving a little bit north uh, up into uh, what's known as Samaria. And I spoke about Stephen before, uh, a Greek-speaking Jew-Christian. And at this moment, or this wave, he is stoned by the religious leaders. Persecution breaks out. And, and persecution breaks out primarily against the Greek-speaking Jews, which uh, does not shut them down. It, it does scatter them, but where do they scatter to? They go north into Samaria, and they start you know, talking about Jesus and spreading the message. And in Samaria, and this is not a nice way to put it, but it, it's how the Jews would have seen the Samaritans. The Jews saw the Samaritans really as, as half-breed Jews, because they were Jews who intermarried with Gentiles. And so there wasn't a lot of love between them, but these these Greek-speaking Jews go north and they are talking about Jesus. Many people in Samaria say yes to Jesus. And the church in Jerusalem hears about it and they're like, what? What is going on? They send Peter and John north to check it out. Peter and John show up. They pray for these new Samaritan believers. And what do you know? whoosh, the Holy Spirit comes on them too. And where in Acts 2, we saw really the the first Pentecost, the Pentecost of the Jews. Now in Acts chapter 8, really, we see the the second Pentecost. This time it's the Pentecost of the Samaritans. Uh, It's also during the second wave uh, wave that we meet uh, a guy, his Hebrew name is Saul. His Greek name is Spanakopitae. Okay, just making sure you're listening. I know it's a little, but his his Greek name is Paul, and uh, he's a very uh, key character here in the story, and we'll learn more, more about him a little later. But the second wave ends this way. Acts 9, 31 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And that's something we're gonna see all through Acts. Increase, increase, grow, grow, grow. Uh, Wave three, Gentiles in Syria. Acts 9 through 12, uh, message continues moving north uh, and northeast is moving up into Syria. Syria And the further away from Jerusalem means we're getting more and more into uh, Gentile, non-Jew, Territory, and it's in during this uh, third wave that there's a just a a really cool story. If you're familiar with the story of Peter uh, and a a Gentile man named Cornelius, God tells Peter, I want you to go visit this Gentile man. And Peter's like, "Uh, Actually, no, God, Uh, you should know the rules. Uh, We don't, Jews do not uh, associate, you know, socialize or or, or especially go to the home of of a Gentile. But God says no nope, uh, through a very cool vision. No, I want you to do this, and so off Peter goes, and, and he goes to this home with, of Cornelius, his family, and, and all their friends, etc. He starts to talk, and again, wouldn't you know it, the Holy Spirit whew, falls, and now it's the third Pentecost. It's the Pentecost to the to the Gentiles, and this is a real pivotal point in the whole story. Of of God as as more and more Gentiles as more and more Jews become followers of Jesus, uh, it, it it causes some some issues. And what I mean is this: the, you know the Jews despise the Gentiles so much that even now, as followers of Jesus, the Jewish believers still believe that for someone who wasn't a Jew to say yes to Jesus to become a follower of Jesus, they first had to become a Jew. Meaning they had to come under the law. If they were men, they had to be circumcised. And and it's at this point, like and after that, then they could become a Christian. That's how the Jews saw it. And it's in this third wave and and really moving forward that we first see the uh, the message of a law-free gospel coming to the forefront. Where basically what we know from scripture is that no, you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your performance. You're not saved by your ability to you know, to check off all these boxes of the law. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. This is a pivotal moment. Wave three ends with the leaders in the Jerusalem church after hearing Peter's report saying this. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, well, I'll be. So then... Even to, the, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And you know, when I see that, I go, even to you fill that in with the people group or the person that you don't think God wants to, to be part of his family, right? But even to Gentiles. So wave four, uh, now Gentiles in Asia, Acts 13 to 16. In this wave, there's really a shifting away from Peter and more of a focus on Paul. There's a, there's a shifting away from Jerusalem, more of a focus on the city of Antioch, which is in, in Syria, and again, less focus on Jews, more focus on, on Gentiles, and all throughout the book of Acts, and especially now as we get into this fourth wave, uh, as promised, we see the Holy Spirit not only empowering the church, but also and very clearly guiding the church. There's a story in Acts 13 where a bunch of of leaders have gathered together and and they're praying together. And it literally says, it says, the Holy Spirit said. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, you know, like the Holy Spirit said to them, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for a special work. And so they do that, pray for Paul and Barnabas, send them off. They go further north now and they're into uh, modern day Turkey declaring and demonstrating the rule of God. They're uh, planting churches, etc. But it's during this time, this fourth wave, that Paul and Barnabas have a, a falling out. They have a disagreement over a choosing, uh, the choosing of a team member, and they end up parting ways. And again, I talked about the opposition of the enemy, and I can really see in this story, the enemy is trying to shut down this dynamic duo. He's trying to halt, if he can, the movement of the message of God, the, you know, the activity of God. But instead, in splitting this, this duo, instead of s- slowing them down, really what, God's, what happens is God now has two teams, two evangelistic teams instead of one. Paul and Silas continue moving north into Asia, and Barnabas takes young uh, John Mark with him, and they head off to the island of Cyprus. Wave four ends with uh, Acts 16, verse five. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in Numbers. And now as you move towards uh, wave five, again, the focus is really on Paul, uh, who was a prolific uh, evangelist, uh, church planter, teacher, etc. So wave five is Gentiles in Europe, excuse me, Acts 16 to 19. Again, in this wave we see we see the Holy Spirit so clearly guiding Paul. Literally saying, you know, no, no, don't go there. No, no, don't go there. Yes, go there. Like it's just very clear guidance. Uh, During this fifth wave, Paul plants many of the churches that we would be very familiar with. uh, Philippian church, Thessalonian church, Corinthian church, and the Ephesian church. And again, during this fifth wave, there's lots of, uh, lots of opposition. Uh, The enemy continues to stir up riots. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison they get stoned. They're they're uh, by rocks. They're uh, beaten. They're flogged. But instead of discouraging or slowing the growth of the church wave, the fifth wave ends like this. Acts nineteen. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And you know, I want to point out that isn't it amazing that you know here's Jerusalem where it all started. As the word of God is moving, it's not getting weaker as it moves away from the you know from its beginning place. But I want you to see that it's actually getting stronger and stronger and stronger as we we move away and move into uh, towards the ends of the earth. Um, The promise of Jesus was that his followers would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work he'd given them. And then his command to his followers was to go and make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And to someone living in the first century uh, the size, their understanding of the size of the earth, I believe, would have been very influenced by the size of the Roman Empire. I think the Roman Empire, that's the earth to them. It's the Roman Empire. And so uh, for, the, for this story, for the gospel to go from Jerusalem, all the way to Rome, to these first century people, that would have been like the, the message has now gone to the ends of the earth. And so wave six is ends of the earth, Rome, Acts 19 through 28. And uh, what we see in the final eight chapters of Acts is a focus on Paul getting to Rome, getting to Rome to be a witness before Caesar himself. And, and something that, you know, in, in considering the opposition of the enemy, something that I, I don't know if I've ever noticed before till I compiled a list, is uh, there's just a crazy amount of opposition. The enemy, It's clear that the enemy does not want Paul. To get to Rome. Uh, this all kicks off in, in chapter 21. Paul goes back to Jerusalem, goes to the temple. The religious leaders are like, there he is. There's that troublemaker. And they get, you know, stir up a big crowd and they just start beating Paul up. Poor guy. They start beating him up. The Romans come and uh, rescue him and arrest him. And then uh, he stands trial before the, the local religious leaders there. And then in, in chapter 23, some of those Religious leaders in Jerusalem actually make a death pact with each other. We're not going to eat any food until we kill Paul. Like they, they were so against Paul. Thankfully, Paul's nephew is in the room. Uh, he hears the conversation and he reports it to Paul, who then reports it to the, to the Romans, who that very night, uh, under Roman guard, they, they take Paul for his safety. They take him out of, the, out of uh, Jerusalem, up to Caesarea, Paul, when he's there, again, he faces more trials, uh, and uh, because he's a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar, and they say, okay, if you've appealed to Caesar, well, off to Rome you go. And again, opposition. On the way to Rome, they're on a ship, and they are just hammered by a, a storm. A storm so severe that the ship is destroyed, they're shipwrecked, but they make it to an island, the island of Malta, and, and just like, not. This poor guy, they, they get to Malta. Paul's helping collect wood to build a fire and a, uh, a snake, a poisonous snake, poof, grabs onto his hand and the, lo- uh, and the locals look at Paul and they think, oh, that's gotta be judgment. He must be a really bad guy, but he doesn't die. And now they go, oh, he must be a god. It's amazing uh, how fickle we are. But, but in all this, and you know, a lesser known fact in the Bible is that Paul could not get health or life insurance. Did you know that <laughs> nobody would cover this guy? But okay, but seriously, when I look at that list, I go, "Look at that! The enemy didn't want Paul to get to Rome." Like, think about that. The enemy did not want the message of Jesus. He he did not want a church to be planted in this this incredibly influential city. That from this place, many waves would would move out around to the to the ends of the earth. The sixth wave ends, really the book of Acts Acts ends this way. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And it's believed that after these two years uh, that Paul was released for a few years, He traveled around, visited many of the churches that he'd planted. It's also believed that he took the message even further uh, into modern day Spain. And then in 67 AD, it's believed that Paul was again arrested and uh, martyred in Rome. So between Acts and Revelation, I said this earlier, there are 21 letters written basically to churches, not all by Paul, some are by Peter, some are by John. And basically all these letters are written to these churches to teach them and to encourage them to continue the two intentions and the three assignments. Don't forget, you guys, it's all built on relationship with God and with each other. That's that's our strong foundation. And then from there, we do the work of the kingdom, which is fill, uh, sorry, multiply, fill and and rule. Uh, and then at the end of that, at the end of the New Testament, we come to the book of Revelation, more accurately, the letter. Revelation. This is a letter written by one of the original 12 disciples that is uh, known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we're talking about John, uh, the apostle, not, not the Baptist. And in Revelation, there, it's a letter that's written uh, initially to seven churches. They're actually named and have a specific message to these seven churches. But it's also a general message to all of the churches. And uh, Revelation is a very unique letter to say the least. And uh, uh, in the new year, next year, we're going to do an entire series on the book of Revelation. And so for today to wrap up this series, to wrap up this story, let me say this about Revelation. Look at this quote. Revelation is not a crystal ball, but rather a discipleship manual. Let me read that again. Revelation is not a crystal ball, but rather a discipleship manual. Now just think about this. John is writing a letter to Christians, Near the end of the first century, Christians who are under an incredible amount of pressure in the in the in the in the communities where they live, etc. The primary question in the book of Acts to these churches and, and and to or sorry, in the book of Revelation to these churches and, and really to us is who are you going to worship? Who will you bow? Who will you bow to? Who will you, you know, who will you give your life for? Because because see at this time near the end of the 1st century Rome's rulers Caesar you know the emperors etc they were believed to be divine and Rome wasn't just a city it wasn't just a place Rome was a religion it was it was a cult like the emperors were seen as were treated as were worshiped as gods they were given the titles of lord and savior uh, people pray to them, people bow to them, people sacrificed to these emperors. And so for the early church to say, hey, hey, actually, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And for the early church to say to people, hey, you're gonna have to uh, renounce your allegiance to Rome. You're gonna have to renounce your re- allegiance to Caesar and then turn and only worship and only pray to and only bow to, give your life to Jesus alone. That made, that created a lot of pressure and danger for this first century church. And of course, you know, history, many, many, many Christians, young and old families were martyred because they said, no, we will only bow to Jesus. We're not going to bow to the political." Leaders to Rome, to Caesar, to the Emperor. And so Revelation, with very creative, often confusing language and imagery, paints, really paints a picture of the spiritual battle that's that is being fought. And the clear message to to believers in Revelation is this don't be afraid, don't give up. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. He is the victor. The Lamb is already on the throne. You enter the battle with evil, not in order to, to win. But because Jesus has already won, don't give up, don't give in. Eden will be fully restored. Your reward awaits. Revelation ends this way Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is where it's all heading. That's what we see in Revelation is where it's all heading. But for now, uh, what day is it? October 2nd, 943 uh, a.m. here. For now, we're here we are. Uh, and we're like in Act 5, if you will, or Wave 7, or maybe Wave 712. I don't, but, but what I'm trying to say is here we are. We now live between these two ages. right? The kingdom of God has come when Jesus came, announcing and demonstrating the kingdom of God but it hasn't fully come. And that, that, won't, come till, that won't come till Jesus returns and, and you know, to, to basically to wrap things up. So right now we live in that in-between time that we call you know, the now and the not yet. We, we get tastes of the kingdom of God, the power of God, the presence of God, but, but we won't experience it all until Jesus returns. But until then, in the meantime, just like it was for the church in Acts, uh, those two intentions and three assignments they they haven't changed they haven't gone away that is still that is still the plan that we would would live our lives on the foundation of a relationship with god and with each other and from that place we as the church would would multiply make more image bearers of god that we would we would fill that we would take this message to the corners of the earth and that we would we would rule. As we go, we would go as ambassadors of Jesus, demonstrating the kingdom of God. And you know, just going through uh, Acts and all these churches being planted and, and looking at Revelation, the letters written to these churches. I, as we wrap up this series, I find myself going, if we were one of those churches in the book of Revelation, what, what would God say to us? You know, to the, to the church in Sunbury. Or, you know, or if, if like if in, in years, you know, down, way down the road, what, what would be written of, of the believers at VCDC? What would be said about us? Uh, you know, uh, would it be said that with all the struggles of life that we chose, we chose to give our worship and allegiance only to Jesus, even if it cost us our lives. And I think, I don't know if that registers. So even if it cost us our comfort, even if it cost us our reputation, even if it cost us our money, our time, our promotion, would it be said of us that we said no to the distractions and to the to the small g gods of this world and said, yes, we are a people who, regardless of the cost, we're gonna, we're gonna follow you, Jesus.